Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on all things Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled if you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, you are in the right place. You have been called to communion. We have been called to communion. You have been given the same mission given to the first apostles, to the first disciples, to bring life to the church. And our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So each episode of New Manna will consist of Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, followed by an amazing, heartfelt conversation about a bite-sized piece of a papal document about the Eucharist and worship. So today, I have the pleasure, the distinct honor of being joined by a father and son combo, Dave and Drew Stanley. Welcome, guys. Thank you. It's hey, good hey. to be here. Yeah. Let's start with. Let's start with Dave. Tell us about yourself. You're the you're the elder in this situation. So. Who is Dave Stanley? Oh boy, well, I grew up in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, actually not terribly far from where we are. We're at Donnelly College, where I work now, and uh, as an advancement officer, and this is where I went to school, went to college, which actually plays a part in uh, my coming to the Catholic Church, and uh, so I'm a father of four, and grew up in Kansas City, Kansas, and have a lot of hobbies, too many hobbies, but uh, ultimately... Uh, I uh, I think of myself as someone um, that is constantly in pursuit of God and uh, someone that loves church, that loves the scriptures, uh, have a master of divinity. Uh, this is before I came to uh, the Catholic Church, and uh, that also played a part as well. And um, I'm uh, somewhat of an artist. I do music and praise and worship and have since I was about 16 or so. I've uh, been overseas quite a bit. Had the privilege of going on a lot of mission trips over the years, so I've been to maybe 18 different countries, and cool. so I love missions, and yeah, I'm proud of my boys. Like I have four boys, so Drew's my oldest. Proud of him as well, for sure. Amen. So you got just boys then, or do you have? Yes, just all four boys, married to a wonderful lady, uh, Angie Stanley. Nice. And I've been married 28 years, I think. I better get that right. I think it's 28 years. And Drew, your eldest. Your firstborn That's is right. here with us. That's so, right. Drew, who who's Drew Stanley? Yeah, so my, my name is Drew Stanley, and I I am 26. I'll be 27 in a few months. And I I have two different part-time jobs. In Olathe, I'm, I'm working in the public schools as a substitute teacher, oh, cool. which I absolutely love, because my other job is being a part-time youth director at um, my church, St. John Paul II in Olathe. We're like a, a pretty young church plant, and... We started a youth group last summer. And so like half my students are like, a lot of them are in Spring Hill, some are in Olathe. And so throughout the week as I'm subbing, um, I get to run into them. Like maybe they'll have a class with me or I'll just see them in the hallway. And it's really, really awesome because I get to know like teachers and principals and different people in the community and just kind of like really immerse myself in my city to better understand our context of ministry. That's awesome. So take me back to the beginning. Dave, let's start yeah. with you. Take me back to the beginning. Um, where did your journey of, of falling in love with Jesus start? And 
in particular with the Eucharist, like how did you, just like what happened? Yeah, so as Drew alluded to, um, I mean, I've been a Protestant and been in multiple different churches. I've actually been the pastor of, uh, part-time pastor of three different churches. I also, for 19 years, uh, ran a uh, youth inner city ministry. And um, as a part of uh, sort of a pursuit of getting a degree and trying to, um, you know, find a way to afford four kids. I thought, you know, I better get a deg- I better get some sort of college education. I'm a part of a family that uh, no one in my family, there were seven of us kids and none of us had a uh, college degree. And mm. so um, that led me to, we were living in uh, KCK in an urban neighborhood at the time while we were beginning this um, inner city youth ministry. So at that time, I began to look at different college options, and Donnelly uh, was about uh, was about twelve minutes from where I lived. And I don't even know if it if I was aware that it was Catholic. I just thought the location was great, and, and let's just you know this seems like a good fit. And, sure. Um, it it happened to be the perfect place for a lot of different reasons. For one, uh, they do they did a great job. They still do a great job of working with um, what they would call first-generation students that, you know, are part of families that have never been. So there was a very, there was an environment here that was um, perfect for me. It took away a lot of the intimidation factor. They were able to really give me kind of a hands-on mm-hmm. uh, sort of approach in education. Now, the reason this is all pertinent information is because there was a teacher named Sister Marie Kathleen that I just really grew close to and, and just had a real um, fondness for the way that uh, she treated students, the way that uh, she taught um, her intellect. Um, she was just brilliant. And she just had this kind of compassion-oriented approach. So I would spend a fair amount of time after classes. I took all of her classes. And um, there were a lot of sort of seeds that were planted. So this was, I graduated here in 2009 mm-hmm. with a bachelor's. and so. For those years, um, I spent a fair amount of time after classes just sort of exploring the Catholic faith and trying to understand it, trying to understand what made it different and distinct. And what I found was there were several things that happened. One is is that a lot of the preconceived ideas that I had about the church began to be challenged. Mm. And then a lot of the preconceived uh, problems, theological problems that I thought that I had with the church began to go away as well. Um, but as it relates to the Eucharist, um, you know, she at one point was explaining the, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And she explained that, you know, it's not as if we were to put it under a microscope that, that it would somehow change, you know, the way that it looks or something. But it's the, she explained it as the real presence of Christ is there and truly present there. Um, and uh, she sort of motioned to... Um, she was wearing a necklace that had a, at the time I didn't know what it was, but a pix, and she explained that she was taking the Eucharist to some assisted living hmm. homes and so forth. And so I began, these are just little seeds that were, that were um, planted at that time of a new kind of understanding of the Eucharist and a new kind of understanding of the sacramental quality of it that was more than this thing that I did once a month. Literally, the hmm. tradition that I grew up in, it was once a month. Yeah. Um, and it was, of course, just more of a memorial, and it was a symbol, and that was sort of the beginning and end of it. So those were seeds that were planted that that there's something more to this than right. maybe I originally had thought. Um, so that 
period of my life, I still had some things that I didn't quite understand about the Catholic Church, and and I kind of held on to what I thought was sort of the, the the best way or the most appropriate way for me. So I continued on um, and did ministry, and as I said, did uh, you know even pastor various churches, and. Um, at a certain point, do you want me to continue on this yeah, whole no, line of thought? Okay. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, so uh, there was a church, a small country church, and I was asked to uh, help lead this church out of a, a church split. And I really poured my heart and soul into this wonderful, and they really are wonderful folks there. And um, I eventually was asked to be the full-time pastor, and... Uh, but I, I explained that there would have to be some limitations on my time and so forth. And um, the leadership of the church, from the superintendent to the what they call the search committee, to uh, the leadership of the actual uh, church itself, they all you know wanted me to do this. But it came forward as a vote, and there was a, some there were some folks in the church that were, I think were kind of frustrated over the fact that I'd have to be driving in and. So there was some tension around that, and I ended up not getting voted in as the pastor. And what that did is, is it caused, uh, because it was such a sort of a shocking turn of events, that uh, I knew that the Lord was trying to teach me something and show mm -hmm. me something from this whole situation. So I went on a retreat, a prayer retreat, to Conception Abbey. Now, I had been to Conception Abbey a handful of times before that, and one of the things, and this is very important, one of the things that had happened on I think the second time that I had been to Conception Abbey is, is really pertinent for this whole discussion and related to the Eucharist. So I want to back up and explain what happened in that. Sure, that go ahead. Before I continue this thing yeah. with this church. Um, so the second time I was at Conception Abbey, um, I was told that there was this, this, this special, I think they might have called it service or mass or something, but they said there's adoration that's happening on such and such a night. And I, and I had no idea what that was. So I thought, well, this is different. This is interesting. And I'll never forget, um, the abbot uh, was was standing at the altar uh, and was holding, at, at the time I didn't know what it was, but he was holding a monstrance. And here's what's fascinating. I look at that experience during adoration. I was in the very back of the basilica, and I was just kind of taking it all in. And it was really just the monks and the abbot were up front, and I think I was one of the few that were in there. And there was just this palpable, powerful, transcendent, overwhelming sense of God's presence, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, really, uh, I don't think I'd ever really felt anything quite like it at that time, uh, up to that time. It was just something that I just knew that God <clears throat> was present. That lasted, I think, about 30 or 45 minutes, and I was truly just kind of overwhelmed by the whole experience. Sure. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know why it had happened. And here's the really fascinating thing about this, Lee, okay? I did not know at that time that the Eucharist was in the middle of the monstrance. Mm. I had no idea. I had no idea that what was even happening mm. was related to the Eucharist. Um, all I could see, because of the distance, sure. all I could see was the gold monstrance, and I thought it was just sort of this prayer kind of thing and and he was holding the monstrance and I had no idea that there was any relationship mm -hmm. you know to the Eucharist. So when I so sort of fast forward back to um, going back to Conception Abbey after this uh, challenging period with this this church and and trying to help his church, I was back in Conception Abbey 
And I began a process of what I call a crisis of church. And it wasn't really a crisis of faith in the sense that, you know, I, I firmly believed that, you know, I was sure. I was a believer and I was a Christian and all those things. But I began to wonder if there wasn't something just sort of inherently broken about the system that I had been a part of. Mm-hmm. And I began to examine all of the churches that I had been a part of literally back since, uh, you know, from the very first church experience I mm-hmm. ever had, which was a small Assembly of God church in, in uh, KCK. And the very first church I was a part of, after being there for about five years, I was nine or ten years old, and I, I never forgot driving away from the church and looking back and literally seeing a physical hole that had been dug in the ground to prepare for this expansion mm. that was never going to be built because the church had been split. Mm. And I recounted story after story of different churches that I'd been a part of that had that had split. And so I began to really examine the... Uh, how we understand authority of the church, and that kind of led me down an intellectual path of understanding sure. the the importance of uh, apostolic succession, and some of the things that I had learned in seminary, which at this point I had already gotten a master of divinity, and so sure. you know some of these things had, had begun to kind of coalesce, kind of intellectually. Right. You want me to keep going? No, you're doing great. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, at that point, this crisis of church began, and. Uh, leaving Conception Abbey, or no, actually while I was at Conception Conception Abbey, I started to watch some YouTube videos by Robert Barron. And one of them while I was at Conception Abbey had to do with the Eucharist. It was a teaching that he was doing at some conference. And he began to explain the the Catholic understanding of the Eucharist and communion Mm -hmm. in ways that I had literally just never heard. I don't don't know why I'd never heard it. I just had never really heard the kind of full, robust explanation that he gave on on the Eucharist and the history of it and the challenges of it throughout the church history and so forth. And so I thought, wait a minute, if if the Catholic Church is what the Catholic Church says that it is, and they're making some authoritative claims about this, about communion Mm -hmm. and about the Eucharist, I'm going to have to really look, you know, sort of look into this and begin to take right. it seriously. And so I did. And that, that, uh, and I can kind of summarize some of that, some of this, but it be- basically began a journey of uh, going to Mass regularly. So I started to have this about a year long period where I moved from this kind of intellectual understanding of the church and the Eucharist and apostolic succession, some of these like theological, you know, yeah. characteristics of the church. I moved past some of those the intellectual into more of a heart, um, you know, kind of spiritual awakening that I always tell people it's sort of hard to exactly quantify or even really describe. It's just, it was basically just kind of an awakening. For me, it really was a conversion. Um, It was a conversion of heart. It was a conversion of understanding. And it was just this, one of the first deacons that that I met in the process of all this, he said, Dave, if as you continue this, or as you begin this journey, as you go, if you feel more of a sense of joy, then know that you're on the right path. Yeah. And for me, that's exactly what happened. Like every step of the way, every person that I met, every mass that I went to, every parish that I visited, because I went to all of the different parishes, yeah. almost all of them throughout the entire Johnson County. Uh, county. Um, I found every, every single time I just found beauty, peace, uh, joy, and, um, and this what began to be a, a true longing to partake of the Eucharist. Mm. And uh, 
So that's probably a good stopping no, point. No, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, you were you were searching, and yeah. you you found your way into uh, a certain understanding of like, uh, man, the, I I just love the way that you said that with respect to, man, if the church really believes that it is what it says it is, yeah, I've got to take it seriously. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I love that because it's so true. You're yeah. Right. You're like, wow, I actually gotta. They've been around. Uh, for a while, I guess I should actually maybe look into this. Yeah. And then just being accompanied by the fruits of the Spirit, like Galatians 5. Yeah. You know, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Like you, these things just started kind of bubbling up and, and yeah. remaining and abiding in you. And you said, well, hey, I think the Lord's about a good work right now. That's it. That's yeah. exactly right. There were several masses that I went to in this period of seeking that I was just overwhelmed with emotion, you mm-hmm. know, during particularly during, uh, you know, uh, communion and, and uh, when the Eucharist is is uh, given out and uh, mm-hmm. just, just that whole process, the music and so forth, like it, we were blessed to have and still have a wonderful musician, Curtis Ketty, that um, was doing the uh, cantering at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I literally would just, in fact, I, I sort of would embarrass myself because I would just kind of be heaving, just sobbing, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. the middle of mass. I've and, been there. Yeah, right. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was uh, a beautiful, uh, that, that whole period was just a wonderful time of renewal and awakening and, um, you know, just falling in love with the Lord all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. And that's just kind of the first part. Yeah. You know, just to live in it. So <laughs> Drew, tell us about you, like take us back to the beginning with, with you and Jesus. Like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you were, you are, you were already in for Jesus, like a, a long time before maybe your conversion. Uh, with respect to the Eucharist, but like, what was that? What was the little bit of before and then what happened? And then, yeah. Since I was 19, I've just fallen in love with ministry. Mm-hmm. In high school, um, like when I was 14, I started working um, just as a volunteer at a camp where my dad was the director when I was even younger. And for the longest time, I just saw camp as like this place where we can just come and just kind of go on vacation for that summer like or however many weeks you can be there. But when I entered high school, there was this program where you can volunteer multiple weeks throughout the summer. And that's where I really saw that our faith isn't just something we think about mm-hmm. or something that we do like once a week. But I was watching like 16 and 17 year olds like willfully serving one another. And they we would talk about Jesus all the time, like over meals and just throughout the week. And I was like, this is a different way of existing. Life isn't just video games and snacks, but this is like a way that we can live out our faith. And so that was really attractive to me. And then later on at that same camp youth front here in uh, Kansas City, in college, you can be there for the whole summer. You can go on summer Mm -hmm. staff. And when I was 19, I was the cabin leader in charge of like about 14, like little middle schoolers. And we were just having a Bible study in the basement and like partway through asking one of the questions for our discussion, I just paused awkwardly and kind of like zoned out looking out the window. But I had this deep realization that this was the most fulfilling exciting thing that I had ever done with my life. And I want to keep talking to other people about Jesus. And yeah, that's where it started. So I got, um, I, I changed majors a lot in college. That's, looking that sounds for, pretty normal, right? I mean, yeah, nice. So, yeah. So you're on par. Yeah. I was looking, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't even know if I could say exactly what I was looking for, but as I would, uh, maybe check out different degrees and, uh, different like programs, I was wanting to work with people. I wanted to serve and help in some way. So I was looking at psychology, occupational therapy, whatnot. 
And some of my older friends that I really looked up to were going and getting like ministry degrees. And I was like, I want to check that out. And so I went to uh, Mid-American Nazarene University to get a bachelor's in uh, cross-cultural ministry. And I love missions as well. Like my dad said, we've been on like several mission trips together. And yeah, it's just been incredible. And after getting that bachelor's in 2018, I went to the same seminary where my dad got his master of divinity to enroll in that MDiv program. I did not make it all the way through. We can get more into that later if you want to, mm-hmm. but that is where I continued falling more and more in love with theology and uh, Christianity, just the history of the church. And yeah, it doesn't stop. I want to keep learning, keep reading. Yeah. And yeah. So you, you are not, you have not been Catholic like all your life. No, no. We That's were, awesome. Yeah. We were raised Protestant and honestly, like a lot of people then ask, okay, like what denomination? And it was really a mixture. I used to call myself like a, a theological mutt. I thought that was just like my nickname I'd give myself and just pulled like from a lot of different traditions and tried to make that fit. And it felt like it was working for a while, but eventually I saw this inconsistency and like an incoherent system I was trying to hold together in my mind. Dude, that's so cool. Like you just, um, you were, yeah, the, the inconsistent, like the, the lack, the frequencies were not lining up something, something had to give. And I want to hear more about that. So what is it that you do, um, now Drew? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that there was like this uh, this inconsistency or like a fragmentation in my way of thinking that I eventually um, became aware of. So when I first heard the word transubstantiation, um, it was in it was when I was getting my bachelor's at MNU, and so I've been through church history twice in my bachelor's and master's programs. And I'm not saying that to boast. I'm I want to Hum, humble out. brag. No, no, just kidding. No, just kidding. No, and I want to like point out like a, a weakness and like a. a just an area that was not properly completed. Right. So in in my bachelor's, and this is not down, I'm not trying to put down any of the institutions or organizations, but we went, it felt very rushed, honestly. When we were going through church history, we kind of like rushed forward to the Protestant Reformation, and that's where we kind of slow down, dive in a little bit deeper. And so when we when the word came up, transubstantiation, uh, we basically said, yeah, Catholics believe that, we don't. And then we just moved on. Mm. But that word still remained in my mind. I was like, I heard mm. that. I they, There's a few other points they made on it. Like, they believe that Christ is really present here, mm. but we say it's just a symbol. I was like, okay, whatever. So we keep moving on. And then in my master's program, it was, again, like really rushed. And so I want to come back. I, I want to basically point out where my dad's story and mine start converging, mm. right? Mm. So this is at the end of 2020. And I was like, very much like deep in my ways. I had like this whole plan. It, part of my program was writing a paper on where you want to be in 10 years. Mm. And I, it, mine was had so much detail. I was like, I want my life to look exactly like this. Hmm. So I was very much like white knuckling my plans and everything. Yeah. Hmm. But I remember when, Dad, I knew that vote was coming oh, um, yeah. for like uh, you wanting to be the lead pastor there. And it was like a few days after, I guess it kind of went down and you called me and said that like the, the vote didn't go through. And so I knew you weren't going to be staying there. You were not going to be staying there and that you were going on that retreat. Or maybe this is after you went on the retreat at Conception Abbey. Mm. But I want to also celebrate how wonderful Conception Abbey is because that was a huge part for me as well. Oh, yeah. And so, Dad, you said that you were thinking about becoming Catholic. Yeah. And... I was just kind of like, I, like I mentioned before, I was a theological mutt. So I was like, all right, dad, sweet. Like go yeah. for it. And I just kind of thought, all right, dad's doing his own thing. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing mine. I got all these plans, but you would like occasionally send me a video 
um, maybe something Bishop Barron said or some monk on YouTube or whatever. And I, every single thing that you showed me was really intriguing. Mm. And so I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to buy into this. Or I didn't even know exactly what your trajectory was looking like. But I knew we were exploring something. Right. And so a few months later, let's look at April of 2021. That's when we, you had talked about Conception Abbey so much. I was like, okay, we got to go. And my birthday is April 24th. And so me and you, dad, and my brother, Jesse, the second youngest of my mm, brothers, yeah. the three of us went to Conception Abbey. And I remember, I don't know exactly where Jesse was at this time. He was like maybe looking at um, some area in the Basilica, but we were all in there together. And you pointed out, dad, the red candle that was suspended from the ceiling. And you said that that candle represents the fact that there's a consecrated host here. Mm. And I was like, wait, so you're talking about like communion and everything? And you said, yeah. Like, you remember the term transubstantiation? I was like, yeah, I remember hearing about that. And so I walk over to the side of the basilica where they have this little room. Maybe they call that um, the Eucharist chapel or... Yeah. It, it's some sort of yeah. like special space yeah. um, mm -hmm. for the tabernacle. But I didn't even know they call it a tabernacle. And so I mm -hmm. stood there. I didn't know I should have genuflected. Mm -hmm. But my you just like basically said, I'll just let you stay here for a little bit. And then you left. And I'm sitting, I'm standing in the middle of that little room looking at the tabernacle and remembering like a few of the things that I had heard of like of Catholics making this like it's incredibly important to them. And I'm just staring at the little door of the tabernacle and I'm like, God, is this your nature? Is this what you're doing? Is this where you are? Hmm. And I didn't hear like some voice like come out of like the ceiling or whatever. Yes, Drew, it is me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was. I, but I, I, I wanted <laughs> to keep asking that question. It was something I was ruminating on. Yeah. And so... Conception Abbey, I could go into more of the details of how wonderful that retreat was, hmm. but it was incredible. So fast forward like a few days, we we come back home and we have like my birthday dinner with the family or something. And I I didn't know exactly what the future was going to look like. Yeah. I'm still in the MDiv program, right. but I knew something is going to be different. My life is no longer me hanging on and controlling where it's going to go. Hmm. I I have to move in a direction and I didn't mm. know exactly what that was. And so I actually did something similar with you, Dad. And it wasn't, sometimes we'd go together to different masses around KC. Mm -hmm. But occasionally I would just go by myself. And any time there was an opportunity for me to be kind of close to wherever the tabernacle was in the sanctuary, I would wait until like most of the people left. So there's like mm -hmm. less chatter. It's just pretty quiet. And if I could, a few times I could position myself not up near the altar, but maybe the tabernacle was a little bit closer and accessible. Sure. And I would just sit in a chair like as close as I could and just stare at that door. And I was like, I saw the priest come over here. He like removed or replaced yeah. um, these little like bowls. And I'm just like, okay, this is really important, but I don't know yeah. exactly what, how, like, what it means or yeah. any of this, but I was searching as well. Hmm. And looking back, of course, we now know that we were super hungry for what we were looking yeah. for. And uh. Does that kind of give like absolutely a little bit of the that that searching process from my? Perspective? I, I love I yeah. love that you said like you were like you're sitting there staring at this door and you're like, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what manna means, right? Yeah. Is 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 what is it? Hmm. What oh, is yeah, it? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> they like in, in the Israelites in the desert, they're like, well, what is it? Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's flaky. It's not necessarily the tastiest, but it's fallen from heaven, and uh, I guess we'll eat it. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that was provision. Mm -hmm. oh, and you're staring at the tabernacle, the the holy irony of like, what is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's the great. new, it's the new manna. Love it. Yeah. So you, 
one thing led to another and you, 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 what happened? You, ha you ended up having to say yes to some proposition of some kind. So like what, okay, before, and then what happened? Yeah. So I was looking at, um, a little bit into how different denominations or different Christian communities around the world kind of view Holy Communion. Sure. Maybe they don't even call it holy. They just say, hey, we're going to have communion this Sunday. And it's kind of a more of a casual thing. And I saw all these different ways people talk about it or try to practice it. And I saw the deepest reverence was upheld by Catholic Christians and Eastern Orthodox mm. or like Greek or Russian Orthodox. And so I wanted to do more history um, or more research into the history of the church. And I, I remember looking at the Nicene Creed and seeing that we affirm one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Yeah. And I was like, well, I know Catholic means universal. And it's also like that, like that community of Christians and the biggest one, the Catholics. But what does that word apostolic mean? And so I spent after Conception Abbey for the next several months, really like throughout the end to the end of the summer, I was just wrestling with that concept of apostolic. Like what right. is apostolic succession? I heard Catholics and Orthodox talking about that. And so I wanted to find out like, okay, what is this traceability that they're talking about? And so eventually at the end of the summer, dad, you helped me see that um, the Catholic claim of being the fullness of the faith is absolutely right. And I still, I love my Orthodox brothers and sisters, and I want us to see someday coming into a, like oneness, like the, the body of Christ being united. But when I was listening to them talk about this history right. that this, at the center of Christian life from the very beginning has been the Holy Eucharist, the mm. source and the summit of our faith. And I was like, okay, well, it sounds kind of abstract. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. And I kept coming back to these, these images that I had of the monks dedicating their entire life to this. And I would think about the concept of celibacy with the priesthood or just devoting your entire life to something. And I'm, I was like, this is like, these people are living out their faith in such visible powerful ways and they're they want to serve they want to not just focus on like their little like bubble but th this is like something that pushes them outward into the world on mission and it changes their behavior they, yeah. they're more holy and so that all those little pieces were kind of falling into place mm. and i was like this is the real deal so what, what was the transition point for you of like you you saw the devotion and the dedication uh, that accompanied this this thing um, but what was the last straw for you? Hmm. I think part of it was that also to reference Bishop Barron, I was, I was watching a lot of videos sure. um, throughout 2021, uh, listening to priests and bishops, Orthodox, Protestant, Catholic, all of it. I was, I, if there was a Zoom meeting where they were arguing and there's apologetics and stuff, I wanted to hear all of it. And so I just kept hearing a consistency yeah. with all of these priests and bishops in the Catholic Church that were talking about the centrality of the Eucharist. And it it was so profound and compelling because, and this is the reference of a few other things that I had been carrying in my heart that now made so much more sense. Right. One of the most beautiful things that I took away from my bachelor's um, at MNU was in my theology class, looking at this word kenosis. So this word comes yeah. from the kenosis hymn in Philippians 2, where St. Paul talks about how Christ did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped or exploited, but he emptied himself out. He poured himself out to be crucified on the cross like in such a vulnerable way. Yeah. I mean, that, mm. that's the epitome of vulnerability. Mm. 
And that, that word kenosis, we would always say like, well, agape is like this perfect divine love and it's outpouring, it's selfless, it's self-giving. And I heard that and it sounded so great. I would reference it. But until I heard the Catholics talk about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, I didn't really have an, a way of explaining how God's pouring out of self was received. We would just say, well, Jesus is in your heart. And yeah, yeah like absolutely. That's like God is everywhere. He, he wants us to be in intimate relationship with him. But how does he initiate that? Yeah. How is that upheld and maintained? And it's in the frequent reception, re, like frequent receiving of the Holy Eucharist. And that's why the Mass is celebrated every day. It's like, this is really important. We shouldn't yeah. <laughs> just like, re, like keep this to like one location or one. Yeah. We want to share this. We want it to be so accessible and abundantly celebrated. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the physical, yeah. tangible uh, presence mm-hmm. of, of this, this reality. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so you you went you led. Um, it sounds like you, you yeah you just you couldn't hold that on your back anymore. So you what happened then? Like what did you do next? Yeah, so throughout this time, there's a lot of things going on. I'll be referencing sure. like it, it was a uh, a really important thing on my priority list was figuring this stuff out. I kind of neglected some of my papers a little bit actually <laughs> with this like personal investigation. Love it. Um, but so again, referencing someone my dad said, Curtis Ketty. Um, started this, it was like a, a research, uh, an exploration through the catechism, specifically on part four, which is the, the section, the massive section on prayer. Right. And so we, we would go to that like every Wednesday. We were looking forward to it. We would be going to like weekday mass or anytime we could access mass throughout that time. But we were not receiving communion, of course, but just witnessing, wanting to yeah. understand more and see what was going on. And it was that we called it resound because yep. catechism or catechesis means resound. And so I was like, this is Curtis would describe it as like the echoing of Christ throughout the centuries. Yeah. And it was so powerful. The first night that I went to resound and I had never heard of the catechism before this compilation of Catholic teachings that was so robust and beautiful. Hmm. And I went home and bought it on like the, I think I got the Trentian version. It was on the Kindle. And so I downloaded it on my computer in a few seconds and was just going to read the intro and an hour went by. And I, it was mm. it was so amazing. I, I went to the section where they were talking about the Trinity and I was like, yeah. I like every single sentence that I'm reading right now. Yep. Right. And just eating it up. So yeah. oh, once again, looking at the, the consistency of the Catholic teachings, um, how it fit together so well, this beautiful picture of what it means to be human, what God has done, how we're Mm. responding and what we're looking forward to. And I was like, I want to be a part of that. So it was, Mm. it was a, a a deep internal development. I can't, there were, there were certain moments that were more memorable where like, okay, this is like another puzzle piece that is making this worldview make so much sense. And it's something that is such, so life-giving. Yeah. Mm. So you ended up joining the church and you were how old at this point when you joined the church? 24, cool. October 23rd to uh, 2021. Yeah. I just turned 25. I love it. Yeah. Amen. Well, praise God. Amen. Praise God. It's so good to be That's in awesome, union man. with you, brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Dave, yes. w- tell us about your final straw. Like we've got a, a pretty good picture of like before, Yeah. you know, you're Protestant pastor running churches, assistant yeah. pastor, yeah. getting these offers left and right. And you go to, you go on retreat. 
Yeah. Something happens. And what, what kind of actually led you into... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sort of the final. Sure. So there were, I think, three unique experiences that were all different. And um, so one of them was going to a an extraordinary mass in uh, a parish in Kansas City, Missouri, because I had, you know, sort of heard that sure. there were Latin masses. I thought, oh, let's just ch- check this out. <laughs> so I went to one and... Honestly, Lee, it's another one of these things. It's sort of unquantifiable. It yeah. was just during the middle of it. I literally put my head in my hands and and <laughs> yeah, I prayed to God. I said, God, please, Lord God, allow me. And it's funny that I say allow, but sure. that's what I prayed. You know, sure. I just said, will you please allow me to be Catholic? You know, mm. uh, so some of this I may get a little emotional, but so that was one. Then the other one was when I started listening to a Gregorian chant. Okay. And I think it was just a YouTube video. Um, and it was at Notre Dame. I think it was the Notre Dame, the monks of Notre, uh, Notre Dame. And um, and I may be getting that wrong, but um, it was just in my room, mm-hmm. in my bedside, and I was overwhelmed with... Here's the thing, and it's... I don't. I don't want this to sound disparaging against any other, you know, sort of uh, denomination or the tradition that I came out of. Yeah, it's not. It's not anything. But but I'm just saying that these were, and the Eucharist is a part of that. That the holy is at the center of our faith, and so with that, there is a transcendent quality that comes with that. That frankly, I I should just say from based on my own experience, I had not really experienced that. Uh, to the degree that I felt like I was beginning to experience the right. really true, the holy quality um, that is at the center of of uh, the Catholic faith, and so when I heard, you know, when I heard this Gregorian chant, it was just my whole room was just filled with this just kind of transcendent quality, and I just remember, you know, literally getting on my knees next to my bed and just crying. Mm. But <clears throat> just because th- there was a lot of, and there, there frankly still is, there's tension around this in our in our household because not all of us are Catholics in our home. And so there was not this yet. tension. Yeah. <laughs> Lord God, you know, we pray for that. Um, but, but so that's why there was this cry of like, Lord, please, Lord God, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I know that this is real. And uh, <clears throat> so that's why it was this sense of like, will you allow it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just I just had this overwhelming sense of just, I have to do this. This is real. This is true. And, you know, and some of this is because as a believer my whole life, you know, I, I, I came up uh, when, when I grew up in a, you know, sort of low income home. So for me, matters of church, faith, theology, all these things have always been to me, ob- sort of obviously the most important things in life, you know. And so when I began to discover all of these things, it, it just felt like my entire existence was being like ratcheted up, mm. you know, and kind of to use, a, <laughs> I guess, a video game metaphor, like leveling up, you know. Yeah. It was like this huge, like awakening and awareness of this massive like whole panoply of theological discourse and beauty and all of the stuff that I had not known was really a part of Christianity. Right. 
And so that's why I began to be just so overwhelmed by all of this. Cause it was like, mm. I just reached a point where I was like, I have to be Catholic. And then as a part of this as well, I started to read just little uh, snippets of the early church fathers. I, yeah. I found out about this wonderful they, website. They know, they know a few things. They did. Yeah. Yeah. There's this wonderful website that we learned uh, through, again, through Robert Barron, uh, through Bishop Barron. Um, it's just churchfathers.org. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful website because it just kind of gives you, you know, some real key pieces on different theological issues. I mean, even things like abortion and some of these things. And so I began to read, you know, um, Ignatius of Antioch and and just some of these early church fathers and what they had to say about the Eucharist. And it was so obviously Catholic in its sentiment and in, right. in its tone and and language and all of those things. It was like, this is the way that Christianity and the Christians have viewed the Eucharist for 2,000 years. Yeah. And there, so it was this kind of aha moment and at the same time, frankly, even a little bit frustrating, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because I was like, why has this been... Why, why, why has this been missing? You know, mm. and there was this certain level of like frustration even that yeah. set in. Like I've been, but at the same time, gratitude that you know that the Lord had had begun to reveal these things to me. So th- I think that those those three things were really pivotal. Um, I just sort of reached a point at, at right around that time um, that there's this wonderful uh, pastor and priest, Father Riley, who was kind of an interim pastor at the time. Yeah, at John Paul II and. Um, he was just very gracious and and kind and and respectful and and uh, you know I basically just eventually um, reached a point in going to mass every day at, at JP two and the other thing is, is so wonderful is that this new parish was starting you know right in our own neighborhood right and so we were meeting the the weekday masses were meeting in this little chapel um, that was kind of a non denominational chapel uh, literally like two minutes from my home. And it was just kind of, I call it kind of an incubator, you know, because it was literally like this tiny little chapel where like 50 people at most could go in there. Right. And um, so these are all sort of little bits and pieces that that led to uh, just reaching a point. Um, resound, as Drew mentioned, uh, I just eventually went to Curtis and said, hey, you know, I, I really, I want to be Catholic. I'm um, in. Yeah, I'm in. What do we need to do to get this wrapped up? Yeah. And so he helped us uh, in the process of confirmation, went to first uh, communion, or not to first confession, I mean, rather. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a whole other With the pod. priest, not with uh, Curtis, right? That's correct. Cool, yeah, just clarifying. Love that's that. That's right. Yeah, I probably said that too fast. It's all good. That's a whole other podcast about confession, I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> that Amen. was incredible, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, praise God that you're here and oh, thanks, that the Lord, Lord just uh, worked through you. And mm. the Lord loves to communicate to us through us. And through our interests and through what it is that we're passionate about and our, our gifts and our talents that he's given us, right? The, the interests, those things. Um, so praise the Lord that um, he just, he always finds a way. Yeah, It's so good. And I can relate because the monks of Notre Dame as well for me have been big. Oh, um, yeah, okay. they really, um, if, you, if, listening, if you're listening out there and you're like, who are these people? Just look them up on Spotify, on YouTube, on Apple Music or whatever your music listening thing is. Um, they are absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's I, just I bought a couple of their CDs awesome. after all of that. A CD? What is that? I know, right? <laughs> they do sell those though. For they, the, they do and, sell uh, those. Yeah, and so yeah, I, I try to make that a part of my weekly routine. To, but anyway, go ahead. Sorry, Lee. No, that's great. Yeah. 
So what role would you say, uh, guys, what, what role would you say the, the, the Eucharist plays in your life today? So I think that one, one question that I am faced with a lot um, from my friends who and family who are non-Catholic is a lot of them might not know, they just don't know, that Mass is so accessible, that we, yeah. it's something we do every day, um, or it's offered every day right. around the world. And I, I, I've honestly just pondered that for months, like since I realized it, um, when we first visited Dad, like early in 2021, I was like, wait, they do this all the time. And I think part of it is that it corresponds with a deep, mm. deeply rooted instinct in all of us. So anthropologists often refer to us humans as mimetic beings, that we're creatures of habit. Mm. We, we often, well, like, look, are we, in a way we share desire. Mm. And so because we're so repetitive, like think about the ways we get in and out of our car, put on our clothes, we don't even really think about it, but so much of this is really routine. Yeah. And so God is more aware of that than we are, even the, the sharpest scientists in this area. And so the accessibility of the mass is a, it's so many things, but I think that part of its simple beauty is that we need to realize how important our, our rituals are, our, like our schedule, our habits, and yeah. finding a way to make the Eucharist the center of that. And so that's what the church offers every day around the world. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, you know, um, gosh, there's a number of ways. I mean, one one kind of, I think, interesting sort of practical way is that I've started to receive the Eucharist on the tongue, and I feel like... Rather that, than in, or, than in my hand. To, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like that's been an interesting sort of development. It's, it's actually my boys, um, Jesse... And I think Drew, you, I believe you do as well. Yeah. Um, that said, oh, Dad, you know this is this is the way to go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and I thought, well, okay, yeah. And, and Curtis, I think at even one point when we were, um, you know, in the process yeah. of being confirmed, but might have said the same thing. But um, there's something really wonderful and um, I guess transcendent about. I use that word a lot because it just sort of there are certain things that are just hard to really quite understand yeah. why, you know, it just sort of is, yeah. uh, there's something more powerful about the fact that there's not anything sort of like in between mm-hmm. you and the Lord at that point. Yeah. Um, there's not any kind of distraction. There's not any kind of gesture or motion or yep. movement or any, you know, there, there's, there's a purity to it, I guess, yeah. that, that is a, a really wonderful thing. So just on a practical basis, I, I think that that's been sort of a, a recent development. Um, being here at Donnelly, um, we've started to have mass and, uh, Monsignor Swetland is the president of the school here. And so that has been a wonderful sort of full circle, um, yeah. because I just started, you know, working here a couple of weeks ago. And so we started hey, mass. Right yeah. So we started mass, um, this week. And so it's in moments like that, that you're, you know, you're obviously receiving the Lord in the Eucharist, but it's sort of an overwhelming experience in the sense that yeah. you're, I feel like in a way this has been a bit of a, a spiritual home for me um, in the way all of this you know journey began. Right. Um, I've also actually incidentally reconnected with Sister Marie Kathleen, and, and we've talked about these uh, these matters too. So, um, but the reason I mention that is that when we talk about communion, we're talking about relationship. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a a, a sense of unity and. So it's all of those things uh, in, in Mass and in receiving communion. It's the fact that 
there's this sense of unity and communion that I have now with uh, this institution that's a part of the archdiocese, that's a part of the larger church. So it's this, it's this sort of small, intimate moment of receiving the Eucharist on the tongue, in, in, yeah. the case, in, in my case, that also is much greater and scope and in in the ramifications of right. that have a global in fact have a universal quality to it yeah. as well in the sense of of unity and and uh communion that we have with not just other catholics around us yeah. but the saints in in heaven as well so what do you think true i could say something one, one little thing about yeah. receiving on the tongue yeah because i've seen online this was a uh, something that just kind of comes up here and there like on social media and whatnot there's like kind of some arguing among catholics on like what's the proper way to receive and it, it becomes right. kind of like a kind of divisive yeah but i think one of the most important things to remember however you receive as long as it's within the prescribed um right oh like a, a ways spoken by the magisterium sure is that however you do it the important thing is like what is happening in in the interior part of your life like how mm. in what ways are you embodying a humble heart that wants the Lord. Yeah. Mm. And so it's like, we shouldn't walk around and like look at people during communion or mass and think, oh, why are they doing it that right. this or that way? Because that, that's not really helpful. And the point is that we're, we're yeah. focusing on how can I surrender to the Lord and accept yeah. his love? Yeah. If you're in the United States, um, the, the Pope basically set it up to, it's like, okay, you're going to, you are under the jurisdiction of your conference of bishops and the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, has stated very clearly that the the way to receive is either on the tongue or in your hand, mm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And any any further bickering about it is just childish. Yeah, you can, you can talk to the bishops. That's I'm just reading you what they have written down. Said yeah. this is the way. So many of our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, might be on the fence about the Eucharist, mm. or might not be totally convinced. Um, that this is the real deal. Even like some of our Catholic brothers and sisters, you know, it's like, we, we know the stats, just like oh, basically 70% yeah. of all Catholics don't believe in the true presence. And like, but like what, what advice would you give to anybody who's uh, wavering or confused or um, not totally there yet? I, I'd like to, I would say two things about this, that one of the qualities I think of communion and, and just the Eucharist in general is that we should, I think, keep in mind that it is a mystery. Um, I mean, sacrament is mystery. Yeah. So um, I think if Drew or I or anybody, Lee or anybody else was to say, you know, um, to somehow sort of box this in too much, yeah. that I think it would sort of defeat the purpose and the the real true quality of, of right. the Eucharist and what God does in communion. Um, so in a certain sense, the more that I feel like I kind of understand what happens in communion, um, for every sort of step towards that, there's about 10 more steps towards what I don't understand yeah. and what is still remains mysterious and kind of awesome and kind yep. of unexpected and unusual and and um, so, you know, I think just about every Mass I, I go to, you know, I leave just kind of, 
I mean, to a certain degree, almost kind of in awe, in shock and kind of awe, you know, of like, what just happened? Right. You know? (laughs) Yeah. That's a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and, but that's what I love about it. See, it's interesting. My wife said the other day, she said, Dave, you know, we, we try to go on regular dates and she said, Dave, listen, going on a date uh, out to eat right after you get back from mass, I don't want to do that anymore because you're just not even in like a frame of mind, you know, you're in a different (laughs) headspace, you know? Yep. So that that all to say that that's one of the things I love about it is just the mysterious quality of it. Um, so that's on one spectrum. On the maybe the opposite is the fact that the church really is grounded in reason and um, you know sort of the intellectual pursuit of knowledge and so forth. And so right. for me, I've found the Eucharistic miracles to be um, a, a a very helpful, uh, and and I understand that maybe. To a certain degree, they're a little bit controversial, or may, maybe they are. Um, some of the online, you know, material sure. that I've seen, you know, they're sort of, um, you know, wonder which ones of these are real or not real, and so forth. But so I'm, I'm just saying, as a relatively new Catholic, that and and even in the process of becoming Catholic, sure. for me, they were actually really comforting. Yeah, and I thought fascinating, and kind of gave a sense of the um, miraculous quality. Yeah. You know, and so if your question really had to do with, you know, for those that are on the fence or maybe for Catholics that are maybe wavering in their faith and so forth, maybe that's just a practical tip would be to consider those and look into them and and see about, uh, I think it's Lanciano. I don't know if I'm saying that quite right, but I believe it is. Yeah. Um, And and others that are these, you know, really incredible, um, miraculous, uh, even to this day, don't really have uh, any good explanation for right. for what's happened. And so, um, you know, in a practical sense, I think that those things, you know, can be helpful. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. The intellectual side of it. So I would say for, for me, when I was, whether I was at Conception Abbey, witnessing the faithfulness of the monks, spending every second I could, yeah. just staring at the tabernacles around um, the Catholic parishes that we were visiting, all these little things were like, I was just trying to hold together and try to make sense of this whole thing, listening to the, the videos online, sure. apologists, bishops, and priests. And one thing that I, I like to, to this day, come back to and just kind of meditate on is the nature of the incarnation yeah. and God's history throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, church history all the way up today. Mm. What, how can we look at this, at the behavior of the creator, the, the revelation of God given to these people, these ancient people in the desert, all these different circumstances, um, the New Testament. So I think w- when I was going through all those months of doing research and listening to really bold claims by the Catholic church and wanting to put all of them to the test, I was going to reference like other theologians I'd heard, maybe this person disagrees. Sure. But it's like you said, dad, the Catholic Catholic theology, this response to God's revelation is so intertwined with reason. They're, they're together. It's like, uh, yeah. is it St. John Paul II who says that faith and reason? Fetus et ratio, for sure. Yeah, it's like two wings of the same bird. Yeah. Mm. So they go together. And every time I would hear like some claim, like this is their explanation, it was so logically sound. Yeah. And whenever I, the, the most important one, this, this claim that in... The Holy Eucharist is the real abiding presence of Jesus Christ, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I when I heard that, it didn't there, there was no part of me that like winced or got, oh wait, what? Yeah. Because I I re- thought back 
to the ways that God has revealed himself through the Old Testament and the New Testament throughout church history and today. Right. And I, it's like you said, Dad, it was, we were missing that like mm. in our earlier years. Yes, we loved Jesus, but we didn't know how much he loved us. Oof. And we now see a, a more intimate form of connecting with him, a Come more on. intimate way. Yeah. And so one, one example is like this. In the Old Testament, whenever Moses encountered the burning bush, yeah. it, it's profound. But in that, in that moment, he's encountering God in a, in a special way. So God, like in, you could, might say, contextualized himself or found a way of intimately encountering Moses, revealing himself to him. Mm. And then in the incarnation, Jesus as a baby was born from Mary into basically a feeding trough yeah into a manger this, this like super humble setting mm. and so there are moments throughout scripture where god appears in like really intense like phenomenal ways um that just like are kind of like almost scary yeah. but then other times when it's like okay wait 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 hold on he's he's a baby in a manger like they don't even have a place for him to stay mm. and so mm-hmm. i see this trajectory or this um yeah this trajectory of god revealing himself throughout time where Christ in the Eucharist, it's not just a symbol or a sign or a little fun thing that we do, right? But it's Himself. Yeah. And so once again, coming back to, to coming back to kenosis, if we're going to affirm Scripture, hmm. which all Christians should do, yep. we should ask ourselves, how much, how far is God willing to go to show us His love? And it's not in giving us a little trinket or a little fun task, right? But He wants to give us His entire self. Hmm. Wow. I'm in. That's great, Drew. That sounds good to me. Hmm. I'll take another. Yeah. <laughs> me too. It's beautiful. Um, I think now might be a great time to transition into the second part of our conversation today mm. about this this uh, amazing man and the the document, or one of the many documents that he wrote. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI, he wrote a document called Sacramentum Caritatis, the, the sacrament of love. And today we're just going to be working through paragraphs 52 through 69. If you've been following along with us, good on you. Uh, we just want to make we want to make the capital T tradition of the church more accessible. And this is one of the ways that uh, we can do that is to kind of tee it up for y'all. So here we go. Sacramentum Caritatis. He wrote this in 2007, the second year of his pontificate. And it's a, a preaching, teaching kind of moment to the world. This is to bishops, clergy, consecrated persons, and the lay faithful. That's literally everybody. And it's on the Eucharist as the source and summit of the church's life and mission. And his intention, what was the Holy Father's intention with writing this document? Number one, to offer some basic directions aimed at renewed commitment to Eucharistic enthusiasm and fervor in the church. He wanted to get people hyped up for Jesus in the Eucharist. And then secondly, to encourage all to deepen their understanding of the relationship between the Eucharistic mystery, the liturgical action, aka mass, and the new spiritual worship, which derives from the Eucharist as the sacrament of charity, the sacrament of charity, the sacrament of love. Um, in this section, it's about active participation. Like that's the entire topic that he's, he's co- trying to cover here. He's like, what does it look like to actively participate in the life of the Eucharist? Like particularly in, in the mass, but also after the fact um, in, in adoration as well. He talks a lot about worship. So gentlemen, scrolling through this, reading through this, what are some of your gold nuggets that stuck out to you? So in, in paragraph 54, I think that uh, Pope Benedict XVI 
spoke about something that is often really misunderstood by people looking at the church from the outside. Sure. And this is honestly, when I was younger, I, I had this <laughs> a similar opinion here, where some people look at the mass and they think, wait, why is this so like rigid? Why are you guys all doing the same thing? Saying right. it looks like the same. It's, why is it so repetitive? Right. But there's a misunderstanding here because as I was reading through this document, checking out, um, uh, he references St. John Paul II's writings to churches around the world, like looking yeah. at different continents and yep. cultures. And I, I read through um, the letter that he wrote to the church in Africa. He speaks on so many different matters. Yeah. But what Pope Benedict is wanting to really reference in this uh, paragraph 54, he says towards the end that God wishes to encounter us in our own concrete situation. Mm. So the Vatican, the Pope, there, there is this, this beautiful universality where whenever you step into a mass, even if it's a language you don't understand. One time I accidentally went to a Spanish mass and Love I it. don't speak Spanish, hmm. but I still felt so at home. Like okay, I picked up like a few words here and there and I knew to say amen um, when I was receiving the Lord in the Eucharist. Yeah. And I, but I, it was really humbling. I just kind of sat there and thinking like, this is still dad, like you said, we're, we're in union with the saints, the angels, Christians around the world. And this is all centered on Jesus. Right. And so in this part, um, when both, both Pope Benedict um, the 16th and St. John Paul II, they're recognizing both this, this consistency in upholding immense ultimate reverence in masses all around the world. Yeah. But there is a little bit of a difference from culture to culture. What reverence and, looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And so like we mentioned before on how do you receive on the, on the tongue or in the hand, that there is some variability around masses, depending on where you go, maybe right. different languages, but all of them are with the intention of praying the mass, receiving the Lord, worshiping God with our whole beings, bringing our, our whole heart yeah. to the table. Just to piggyback kind of on what you were saying there, Drew, I, I think about receiving uh, the Eucharist, but even just in mass in general. Um, and this is, again, one of those distinctive qualities of, of worship within the Catholic Church that was new to my experience, but it, it connects with all of this, that that Mass and, and so many aspects of, of the Church, they're really meant to engage the entire body. So the kneeling, you know, genuflecting, um, your posture, um, the way that you receive the Eucharist and so forth, like these are all things that I think for me, and maybe this is some of what um, is being touched on in this paragraph, that these are ways in which God wants to encounter us. Right. That, that if I'm humble, then, or if I'm if I'm trying to become more humble, then there's something that happens that sort of helps foster humility. Right. When when our body is actually in a humble posture, you yeah. see, and so to me, that's what's so wonderful about. Uh, you know, maybe receiving on the tongue, or and I have never actually knelt um, yet. <laughs> I'm sure. sure that time will come. Knelt when receiving the Eucharist, but but these kind of humble postures, and frankly, I mean, let's just sort of be honest about it. Whenever you're receiving on the tongue, or when you're kneeling in these, you're it's you're in a little bit of an unusual. It's, it's something that you're not normally doing throughout yeah. your day. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying is is it, it kind of engages you in ways in your body in ways that that helps facilitate. A process of being more humble, more like Christ, yeah, and uh, that that maybe is some of what what he's uh, referring to in this passage. Yeah, I mean the sacraments are external signs of invisible uh, realities, yeah. like like God transmitting His own life to us through these 
these these appearances of, of bread and wine through yeah. these like the Lord uses the physical to to unveil the invisible. Yeah. And he I think he's he's about that that work of training within us even just of you know when we kneel it's not necessarily pleasant. Yeah. It, but why like what is it about kneeling, right? It's a it's an act of uh, devotion. Yeah. Men we we go down on one knee to pledge ourselves oh. to our, our our brides. Yeah. Uh, and say forever I'm I'm yours. Yeah. Like, will you have me? And yeah. we we say the same thing to our Lord, uh, like Lord, I'm I'm yours, hmm. like for forever. Like, will you, will you have me? And He says yes always. Hmm. He always says yes. Yeah. It's a, it's an act of devotion. It's a it's a symbolic uh, gesture. Like gestures matter. You know, why give a thumbs up to somebody if you're not you know whatever you know? It's like think of a gesture. Gender, gestures have meaning wherever yeah. we are. Yeah. And um, something that really struck me from this document was. Uh, Paragraph 55, um, he says, he is talking about the, the personal conditions for an active participation. And he says, one of these conditions is certainly the spirit of constant conversion, which must mark the lives of all the faithful. A heart reconciled to God makes genuine participation possible. Yes, like we gotta be reconciled with our Lord. We gotta be brought back together. Uh, with our Lord. We have to be humble enough to say that we've messed up when we can't do life on our own. And then he goes on, he says, the faithful need to be reminded that there can be no active participation in the sacred mysteries at all without any, excuse me, without an accompanying effort to participate actively in the life of the church as a whole, including a missionary commitment to bring Christ's love into the life of society. Hmm. Wow. I just, I've got, Oh. That's what you're doing, Lee. Right. That's <laughs> basically, yes, Lord, take me now. Yeah. No, just, uh, um, it's like we, if we're not willing to go out into the world yeah. on mission for Jesus in our spheres of influence, mm. I mean, according to Pope Benedict, it's like, how can we fully and actively participate in the holy sacrifice of the mass and participate in the, the life of the Eucharist? Uh, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but just it's it rocked me, put me on my heels. I'm like, in paragraph 64, he goes on to say, the church's great liturgical tradition teaches us that fruitful participation in the liturgy requires that one be personally conformed to the mystery being celebrated, offering one's life to God in unity with the sacrifice of Christ for the salvation of the whole world. And he, and this ties in so well to what he said earlier in, in paragraph 51, which is not actually in the section, but just bear with me. He says, the people of God might be helped to understand more clearly that uh, the, this, the essential dimension of the church's life, that taking the dismissal of mass as not the end, but a starting point. Oh, oh yeah. Like yeah. I, my four-year-old son, like after communion, we get back to the pew and he's like, is church over now? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's just getting started, yeah. you know? Yeah. But he's, you know, it's just the mind of a child. I love it. But Maybe the, that's what we mean by source and summit, you know? Right? It's the source of what you're talking about. Exactly, it's exactly. A, yeah, and the, the word mass shares the same etymological roots as the word mission. Yeah. It's missa, Latin, yeah. meaning like send. Send, yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, it's like we're about to hit the streets now. We're taking yeah. this with us. yeah. It's interesting, you know, one little anecdote, I didn't even think about this uh, earlier, is I got trained to be a, an extraordinary minister of, you know, communion. 
and which is an I mean, it's an incredible thing yeah. to 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 get to do that um, within uh, mass and and you know at our parish and so forth. But I'll tell you, what is really amazing is is um, actually getting to participate in taking it to assisted living homes. Mm. Um, I've been doing that over the past few months, and what you're talking about is you, you know you have the Eucharist, but then you also have the sense of being sent, yeah. you know, on mission. And to to connect with you know folks that are in you know some of the most vulnerable state of their entire life. Sure, I've even interacted with some folks that are literally near dying. Yeah, um, you know they they're not to the point where they need last rites or anything, but I mean they're they're you know in their last months and and uh, on the earth. And so that's a whole other element to it that I think of is you know that missional that we, right. we actually get to participate in. And taking the Eucharist and and being on mission out in the world. Yeah, and that is such a good representation too of what communion really is, mm. because whether or not you're taking like the Eucharist to an assisted living facility or not, we all are taking yeah. Jesus somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that's the entire point. Yeah, like that's Jesus, great. Jesus died not so that we could get to heaven one day. Yes, mm. he did. He did, mm-hmm. but he died so that he could get heaven inside of you. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John the Baptist, yeah. he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah. It's at hand, mm-hmm. literally at hand. You can grab it. You can take it. You can mm-hmm. lay hold to it. You can lay claim to it. You have ownership in this. It is being manifested now. Yes. Yeah. Like we have uh, the word that he uses and Jesus goes on later in, in Luke and he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Mm-hmm. It's, it's here. It's, mm. it's palpable, like you said. You were in the kingdom, kneeling in your room, crying, listening to these, to these, these monks chant it up. Mm. Like you were in the kingdom, like the Lord was, was mm. there. Yeah. And just the, the word that he uses for, um, uh, for within, is in your midst, is entos, meaning within you, around you, surrounding you. It's oh. here in front of you, it's behind you, it's underneath you, it's beside you, it's, it's here. It's awesome. Oh. Gets me fired up. Preach it, Lee. I'm, I will. I will preach Come it. On, man. I will be held accountable for every word. So. <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of what uh, Curtis Keddy, when we were talking about um, just the, the Eucharist, he said that, yes, at every Mass, the miracle of transubstantiation occurs with the prayer of conse- uh, consecration. Yeah, prayer mm-hmm. of consecration. But the most astounding miracle is not just that God could turn bread and wine into his body and blood, but yeah. that he can turn us into his body. Yeah, to go out into the world to be his hands and feet. Graft that on. is part of the miracle. Yeah. yeah, that's what you were talking about, Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we're like there's this incarnational, incarnational quality. Yeah, which, you know, uh, before I was Catholic, I sort of understood that as, and, and it is true, the Holy Spirit. You know, you're yeah. you're sort of the Holy Spirit is within you, and we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. That's right. certainly true. That's biblical. And and uh, but what I love is there is this really sort of tactile quality yeah. that 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 is at work in um in receiving the eucharist and that sort of being yeah. integrated into your very body mm. so that this incarnational sense is in a very real palpable sort of tactile sense that uh that i think is what you're talking about yeah yeah so father john ricardo he wrote this book called rescued hmm. um it's about it's about the kerygma the basic proclamation of the good news like what like what is salvation in jesus what is it and um but just the concept of like we were we were kidnapped like we forfeited our citizenship to heaven um our first parents did 
um, in the, in the garden. And um, just this, this image of we allowed ourselves to be kidnapped. When I think about salvation, when I think about how does the father in heaven feel about me? Well, I just imagine that mm. like, how would I feel yeah. if my children were kidnapped and taken from me? I would, I would be livid. Yeah. I, words, words, <laughs> wor words, yeah, words fail in expressing how I would, how I'd feel. Yeah. And how much more does the father feel about us? Mm, yeah. How much more does he feel yeah. about us? Mm -hmm. It's like, what would you do in that situation? I would abandon everything to go get them back. I would give anything to get them back. And God, the father in his infinite wisdom says, I'm willing to give my, my only son yeah. to get you back. And just the, and Jesus, he chooses to give himself to us in a super unique and special way in the Holy Eucharist. Like it's just this, like Jesus died to get in you. Yeah, it shows you the extent uh, to which he it's, will reach to us. Yeah. And, and make himself known. Well, that's what you were talking about too, mm -hmm. Drew. How much he, the extent to which he makes himself known to us. Yeah. Right. And the the, the the constant conversion that Pope Benedict talks about here, he's, he's like, this is a this is a prerequisite of the Christian life. It's like constant conversion, ongoing conversion. If we were to sit back and ask ourselves, like, and be honest, like, am I actively being converted? Am I allowing myself to actively be converted? Hmm. It's a good it's a good question to take to prayer. Because yeah. like that's, as he says, uh, it's essential. Yeah. Like when you, when you, um, there's no coasting in, in the kingdom. You know, there's no coasting uphill <laughs> yeah, on the mountain right. of God, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, um, this is of course not to shame or condemn anybody. It's just like, it's a call to mission. It's a call to more. Yeah. It's a call mm -hmm. to more. The Lord has so much more for us. And like, there's no church without mission. There's no church. Like the, there's no, you can't spell gospel without go. You can't. Mm. Um, which is a totally just an English quip because I know it's not the way <laughs> in other languages, but I just think it, it works really well. Um, the Holy Eucharist is a sacrament of, of mission just as much mm. as it is a sacrament of nourishment. You know, yeah. it, is, it is food for the journey. It is, it is uh, to, to empower us and sustain us, yes. Um, but Jesus is, is inseparable. You can't divide Jesus, you know? Like you can't separate Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, <laughs> mm -hmm. and the the crucified Jesus, and the resurrected Jesus. You, you can't like you can't separate them. And uh, I say them. You cannot separate him. He, he's inseparable. <laughs> yeah. You can't. This question just keep rolling around in my heart, and especially with this section, just like why did Jesus give Himself to us hmm. in this way? Mm -hmm. To what end? Hmm. To to dwell within us. Yes, and to dwell in the world everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Hmm. Jesus clearly wants us to take him with us, to be with us. Oh. I think, uh, yeah, I would love to point out something in 55, and you, you touched on this uh, paragraph earlier, but I think, did you read the entire 55? I don't know. Okay, well, I wanna point out how this, this reminded me so much of a point in my conversion story. Yeah. Um, so even in, he said, this is in 55. I can't remember exactly where in the paragraph. It's all good. But he, he says, Pope Benedict says, even in cases where it is not possible to receive sacramental communion, yeah. participation at mass remains necessary 
important, meaningful, and fruitful. Yeah. I experienced that firsthand when before we were confirmed, we were still going to masses. Like yeah. the longer ones with more music on the weekends and then the shorter 30 minute ones throughout the week. And every single time, I remember when it was really starting to click, like the yeah. gears were moving. And it was during the moment that I could then recognize after watching the explanations online, yeah. when the prayer of consecration was occurring, when he was saying the words of Jesus that transubstantiated these elements. Yeah. And I was looking out the window. This is like an, uh, like a cold spring morning. It's like 7.15 in the morning. And me and you, Dad, were sitting there kneeling during the prayer of the consecration. The sun was just like piercing through the window. Mm, they weren't okay. stained glass, but it was still beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And there's like dew on the grass outside. And then mm. I, I saw a bunch of cars driving by. It was kind of a busy intersection we were yeah. next to. And there's yeah. people are going to work or school or whatever. But we were there early that morning witnessing this miracle yeah. we could not receive it in the way that jesus wants every human being to receive okay but we were still there in his presence yeah and i remember just looking out looking at those cars and i was like these people don't even know what's happening in this yeah. tiny little chapel mm -hmm. off the side of the road yeah but yeah. then i it, it that leads me to more and more thoughts like well this isn't the only place this is happening jesus wants to encounter us in the, the holy eucharist all around the world and that's when i saw the universality of the church this grand expansive yeah. body that is his mystical people yeah. and that's i was like i want to be a part of that yeah mm -hmm. i love that part of the mass the the, the priest says with the saint angels and saints mm -hmm. you know holy 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 and that that sense of communion that we have in in community that we're a part of the heavenly community i uh what i was thinking um kind of to piggyback what you were saying what you were both saying sure. is the is the uh the power of confession just before mass yeah i love the fact that at our at our parish um that 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 and i don't know if father farrar just chose this time um I, i'm not really even sure why but anyway he has a confession time that's right at the very nice j just before mass yeah and uh you know, sort of to put a, a pitch in for that, because that's just an amazing thing, especially, you know, as a extraordinary minister of, of communion and, and helping distribute communion, you know, it's just a, it really is an amazing thing. And, and it goes along with this paragraph of this inner disp disposition, you know, yeah. and, and like he, he says here, the beginning of the liturgy by fasting when necessary, sacramental confession, you know, that there is something really powerful about that sort of preparation yeah. going, you know, into, into mass, um, with sort of a clean slate, you know, definitely is a, is just an amazing thing that it sounds like he's that, that kind of active participation that helps foster that kind of active participation that I think he's talking about. Clean slate. Like there's clarity in cleanliness, mm. you know, there's just, yeah. it's, it's, there's clarity in, in, in something when it's clean, like yeah. you can mm -hmm. see through I mean, what St. John of the Cross, I think, is who it was who said that the soul is like a window pane. If you stare up and let the sun shine through it, you can truly see like all the all the dust and stuff yeah. on there, all the gunk. Yeah. And it's 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 scary to think about like that. And it just reminds us of our humanity and the need to be humbled and to and the need for reconciliation. Yeah. And yeah. like what it's talking about is this this whole process of conversion. And honestly, it just sort of occurred to me as we're sitting here at Donnelly that that it, this is maybe an appropriate metaphor. Like when I went to school here, mm. Donnelly College as an institution uh, was in an old seven-story, uh, it was a hospital. Mm -hmm. And it was this, 
you know, frankly, old, old, kind of dilapidated building. And um, they went through the process just recently of tearing that down and rebuilding this beautiful new campus. And what I found interesting in beginning to work here after going here as a student is kind of the essence of Donnelly as a culture, as, a, as an institution, is still very real. It's, it's here. It's the same place, so to speak, but it has been mm. renewed. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the whole, yeah. that's the whole point of what they've gone through. There is this, it's been reformed, it's been renewed, it's, and so there's a freshness to it. You know? right. And I think that that is a, maybe an appropriate metaphor for what we go through in yeah. confession and, and in the sacraments, is it's this constant renewal. And what's interesting to me, and having grown up in KCK, I was just telling somebody this before, uh, just yesterday, that that most everything that I was uh, familiar with in Kansas City, Kansas, and and I love um, you know KCK, but everything is pretty much old. Yeah, pretty much everything is old. They're older buildings, just older facilities. Sure, kind of wherever you go, and and seeing this new building sort of being birthed, you know, in the middle of the urban core of KCK, it is just this beautiful kind of it gives you this sense of renewal, you know. Yeah, life. And, yeah, and new life, right? And and it seems like it is a, an appropriate metaphor that around sort of you know some of the older, you know, maybe even in some ways, um, I hate to say this, but maybe dilapidated, you know, sure. um, structures in certain parts of KCK um, that uh, that that there is this sense of freshness, you know, yeah, that a, that a new place like this can bring. And I think that's a metaphor for us as believers out in the world. That, yeah. That we're to be that salt and light, um, a, a, a sense of newness and awakening and a, and a yeah. source of hope and life to the world. Yeah, just uh, like thinking about the prompt of like, well, why is it that, you know, why can't I just receive the Eucharist once hmm. and that be like enough? You know, it's, or like, why do I, why do I have to go every week? You know, ah, just this, ah, it's like, ah, there's so much just this duty, this, this responsibility, this call. To yeah. obedience, like what? What's the point? I think the I think the point is that Jesus knows that we leak. Yeah, <laughs> we leak word. grace yeah. through our fallenness and our imperfections. Like yeah. we just leak it out. We're kind of like Jabba the Hut, you know. But he sees us as like a lot prettier mm -hmm. than Jabba the Hut. Um, <laughs> it's a Star Wars reference, anyway. Just mm -hmm. uh, that's why he continually just gives himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he doesn't give himself in 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 pieces. Yeah. He gives himself totally, fully every time he does give himself. Yeah, I think it's what Paul talked yeah. about. And there's this constant battle between the flesh and the spirit, yeah. you know, and the things, what does he say? You know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And yep. the things that I really want to do, I don't do. Yep. And it's just this battle, you know, yep. and thanks be to God that we have victory over it through what? Through Christ Jesus, you yep. know, yep. And, uh, and that's the power of what. We're yeah. talking about. And we, yeah. we can claim that victory too, but we've got to put the gloves on still yeah. and get after it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just like a word about uh, adoration. Like um, he says in paragraph 66, no one eats that flesh, the Eucharist, without first adoring it. This is St. Augustine of Hippo that he's referencing. And he says, in the Eucharist, the Son of God comes to meet us and desires to become one with us. Eucharistic adoration is simply the natural consequence of the Eucharistic celebration, which is, is itself the church's supreme act of adoration. Adoration is just a, a form of worship, which we can participate in, that, that we can actually do. And he says, receiving the Eucharist means adoring him whom we receive. Only in this way do we become one with him 
and are given, as it were, a, a foretaste of the beauty of the heavenly liturgy. Liturgy, that is a, I believe a Greek word, just means corporate work, this communal work together. Um, and, he, and he goes on, I just, I'm, I know I'm reading a lot right now, but just bear with me, it's, it's, yeah. it's cash. The act of adoration outside mass prolongs and intensifies all that takes place during the liturgical celebration itself. Indeed, only in adoration can a profound and genuine reception mature. And it is precisely this personal encounter with the Lord that then strengthens the social mission contained in the Eucharist, which seeks to break down not only the walls that separate the Lord and ourselves, but also and especially the walls that separate us from one another. I just, it was such a, a confirming word for me because like Jesus is passionately, passionately concerned with my relationships. He's passionately concerned with my friendships, hmm. with my with my sonship to my dad and to my mom, with my my brotherhood to my brother, my husbandhood. I don't know what that is. The my mm -hmm. husband sounds right. Sure, mm -hmm. to my wife, my my fatherhood to my children. Yeah, yeah. He is super concerned about my relationship because he desires unity at every level and in every sphere of my life. Hmm. And I just felt that. Like there's no area of my life that Jesus doesn't care about. Mm. There really isn't. And the more time that we spend in his presence, the more that we are just continually conformed to him yeah, and being transformed into him. And it's not always easy just sitting there. When we do, when we just bask in the sunlight of Jesus in the Eucharist, in that monstrance, in that shiny gold thing, yeah, words just sometimes aren't needed. Yeah, Heart speaks to heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you're talking about reminds me of a community of sisters that's, that is just outside of Conception Abbey. That's, they're both in, I think they're both in Conception, Missouri, um, because they're only, you know, like a couple of miles apart. Sure. But um, these are sisters that have essentially closed their doors for years mm. because of COVID. And they spend hours and hours of each day and they're essentially, from what I understand, the, the, the basic essence of their existence is right. adoration. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's just an unbelievable. So, so for me, this whole, you know, issue of, not issue, but just concept of, of adoration um, is made so real and present when yeah. you can sort of see the power of what that actually looks like lived out to its fullest extent. Right. Um, and the saints that we have, that the the kind of time that they spent in adoration, and frankly, um, you know, so I've done inner city work in inner city youth ministry for you know uh, 19 years, as I mentioned. Sure. And it's it's a very very trying, uh, very difficult thing um, to you know sort of uh, ministry to be involved in. And I actually found as I was in the process of of converting uh, to the church um, and, and um, being confirmed in the church that it was an adoration that I did find kind of a renewed strength. Mm -hmm. You know, there was something that just kind of um, helped give me a sense of right. God is with me, you right. know, in a, in a way that, because I think at Mass, um, it's a relatively, for lack of a better word, it's, you know, relatively quick, you yeah, know, yeah. right? I mean, it's sort of, I mean, weekday Mass is about a 30-minute, um, you know, from beginning to end, and... Um, the host is really only exposed for a relatively short time, yeah. you know? And so in adoration, it's more of this kind of prolonged uh, 
you know, uh, experience and and sort of sitting with Jesus yeah. in that way that I think is, uh, I think, uni- unique and special and, yeah. and empowering in, in a unique way as well. Yeah. Yeah, I visited um, last year in March. Uh, I believe I got to visit Kendrick Glennon Seminary yeah, in St. Louis, Louis, and it was incredible. We had this uh, like young adult gathering where like we just filled the sanctuary with people my age and there was a it was during adoration and one of the priests who was a professor there at the seminary basically spoke like a a sermon during adoration and he he opened up with his voice was just it sounded so epic he he didn't like say hey what's up everyone he just said how does jesus see you and he paused for like 10 seconds and he said it again Hmm. how does jesus see you And he said, right now, a lot of us think of adoration as we are adoring Jesus, which yes, we absolutely are, but Jesus is also looking back at you. And I was told um, that one of the most helpful things we can do during discernment, specifically for vocation, Mm. but anytime you're trying to discern, is to ask God to reveal parts of yourself to yourself, to grow in Mm self-awareness. And this is not to make adoration about us at all. Sure. But I want us to see like the reciprocity of adoration that if someone thinks like, well, how can you like sit there and kneel or sit for like an hour just looking at the Lord in the Eucharist, but it's, it's so much more engaging. It's so much more intimate. It's, we, we shouldn't get lost in, well, what are you doing now in this moment? It's the creator of the universe is intimate with me in this room right now in a profound way. I can't fully wrap my head around. It is absolutely mysterious, but he wants to just be at peace with me and to give us his peace yeah that's good drew that's it he just wants to give his peace to us he wants to dwell within us he wants to just be yeah i I, when in adoration i I can't help but think about like you know sometimes words just kind of fail and i think i I just see jesus um you know sitting by the sea of galilee just praying to the father just talking with his dad interceding on our behalf um, telling him that he's tired because we know that Jesus would get tired. Mm. He would get hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he subjected himself to the capacities of man, right? Like yeah. he, he, he knew the human experience and he would just talk and just be there and quiet, watch the sun, watch the black turn to dawn, dawn turn to sunrise. We can just be with him in the same yeah. way we can be with him in, when he's in the garden uh, of Gethsemane, in the garden of the olive press. Yeah, we could be with him as he's hanging on the cross. We could be with him. Uh, in the tomb, we could be with him everywhere. Hmm. There's no real, yeah. And just to to sit with him in his glory too, as he's as he's um, enthroned in heaven, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. just sitting there and, and smelling the, the the moisture in the air and smelling the bread baking and feeling the, yeah, it's kind of a, a meditation of sorts just to sit there and imagine uh, what it would have been like to sit with him. Yeah, you yeah. know, two thousand years ago. Yeah, that's neat. Um, yeah, in paragraph 64, Pope Benedict XVI said, fruitful participation in the liturgy requires that one be personally conformed to the mystery being celebrated. Mm-hmm. And that conformity requires a docile heart, the mm-hmm. softening of our hearts. And so that that is something that I totally admit, like held me back at, at the beginning, Dad. Like when, when I saw like how curious you were mm-hmm. about all this, I was like, yeah, Dad's just kind of doing his thing. But eventually I... I did. I was so moved by the beauty, the goodness, and the truth 
which Bishop Barron talks about all the time, those yeah. three transcendentals. Mm. And that that softened me. I was like, okay, I want to look for something that is good. Like, it mm. does this stuff lead to goodness? And Pope Benedict says all throughout these articles, he, he reference, references several times the fruitfulness. And I was like, okay, well, let, let's check that out. Because Jesus said that you will know a tree by its fruit. Yep. And I, I, I wanted to see that. I was like, okay, what are we going to find here? And I was looking for beauty. And the po- it's not just the poetic theology that, yeah, it does sound incredible, but it's the way that it's lived out in the service that you see in all these different communities. Anytime we were visiting uh, like the community of the Lamb, yeah. um, different Franciscans and Benedictine communities yeah. around Kansas City, and just even having coffee with priests, I would sit down and like email them. And I was like, wait, these guys have time for me? I was mm. just like throwing it out there, seeing what would happen. Mm. And they, they did. They wanted to answer questions and just sit with me. Kind of yeah. like you said, sitting with a friend, Jesus, at the beach yeah. and just resting with each other. Yeah. But I did have a lot of questions. I had a mm. restless heart. But mm. I found in this safe place where you can ask all the questions, as big as you can even imagine, challenge it, throw all that you can, and you'll find goodness, beauty, and truth. And it, it just resonated. Like anytime I would listen to uh, like any part of the prayers in the mass, like, you know, but before I yeah. memorized it, I'm just like trying to take it in even little, little pieces at a time. And I was like, this is so heavenly. Yeah. yeah. And I just kept coming back and wanting more and more and developed that hunger. Yeah. I'm hungry. Me too. <laughs> I'm hungry for more. I want more. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing. I was telling one of my other kids who's who's actually in the process of being <laughs> confirmed into the church. Hey, hey. I said the uh, the wonderful thing, I mean, this kind of goes beyond just the Eucharist in, as far as the discussion goes, but the wonderful thing about the Catholic Church is that, that the ceiling is sort of as high as heaven. You know, there's doesn't seem like there's really sort of like a limit, you yeah, know, yeah. to spirituality, to the pursuit of God, to, to prayer, to... Uh, you know, developing a prayer yeah. life, whatever it is, you know, it, that's one of the wonderful things that to me makes being Catholic such a joyful experience. You yeah. know, there, there's such a, a joy and in, in just sort of the freedom that comes with uh, with knowing yeah. that, uh, you know, we're in we're in God's hands, we're in good hands, right. and we're in the, the hands of, of uh, the church and the magisterium and so forth. But yeah, anyway, it is, it is first and foremost the witness Hmm. That uh, who introduces um, others to the mysteries like that that it's it's Pope Benedict he says that in in uh, sixty four as well hmm. it says it is first and foremost the witness who introduces others to the mysteries um, and you're right you're exactly right it's this magnetic joy this this transcendent draw that yeah. that uh, cracks the door open for people and he's going to make it work with whatever it is that you give him yeah. like that's kind of his mo that's kind of what he does. Yeah, in, in uh, paragraph 64, this reminds me of a conversation I was having with my brother Trevor that my dad was talking about. He's so hungry for all of this as well. Yeah. And Pope Benedict says, while not neglecting a systematic understanding of the content of the faith, mm. it's centered on a vital and convincing encounter with Christ. Yeah. And Trevor is brilliant. He underestimates his uh Trevor, you're smart, okay? Yeah, you are, dude. <laughs> but one thing that he, like, when, when he gets the most excited talking about the faith is yeah. when he's referencing, like, a story of 
uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta. Sure. And he like he, Trevor doesn't want to hear. And this is not just for him, but some people are like, that's right. I'm not really here for like all your philosophical yeah. arguments and stuff. Yeah, I want to see logical like, mumbo jumbo. Nonsense. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what are you doing with this? What does it look right. like when you say you're right. leaving the mass, going on mission? Right. What does that look like? Yeah. And when they can check out the saints. Yeah. And see people doing this here today. Mm. Being the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are so vulnerable and in need, that resonates so much more for some people than any intellectual argument. Yeah, we're really good at hiding our needs and and thinking and acting like, especially as Americans, thinking that we just got it all together. So if you're listening to this, you're like, man, I don't know anybody like that. I would challenge that and say that the the people in need are the people all around you. Um, they they are on the cusp of conversion. They're just waiting for a witness. They're just waiting for a witness. That'd be that'd make a good sermon series, don't you think, Pastor? Absolutely. Yeah, waiting waiting for a witness. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> we love alliteration in uh, church work. <laughs> yeah. um, but what I was going to say earlier was just um, the breadth and the depth of the church are unmatched. Mm. It isn't even close. Yeah. You you can't go deeper, or or farther. Yeah. Or further, exactly. whatever the right word is. You cannot go Come further or deeper. Then let's go the capital C Catholic Church. Bring it. There is so <laughs> much; it's incomprehensible how much there is. Yeah. Um, and there's different flavors too of like just spirituality too. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's like uh, if there's anybody that is a of a Protestant uh, tradition or or heritage, I would just say that um, you know you may be hearing this, and there are a lot of words that have been used or a lot of sentiments that have been shared that yeah. seem strange, you know, or sort of unusual. And, um, and so I would just say that if that's true, uh, if there, if there is anybody that's listening to this, that, that may be feeling that too, um, as the Lord said in the old Testament, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. You know, and I found on my way to all of this, that if, if you give the Lord just a a little bit uh, of, um, to turn, your heart and and even your mind yeah. just a little bit towards some of these things that we've talked about. Um, I think that it um, the Lord tends to use that small opening um, and do a lot with it. Yeah, and can take you a, a long ways. And there's a lot of fear, you know, frankly, um, among uh, a lot of Protestants related to to the Catholic Church and to Catholicism in general. And um, and I would say that. Uh, that that fear is really it's misplaced and um to to give the lord uh, a little bit of uh of your heart in some of these things and and see what god can do with it so which you know and yeah. this is kind of back to what i was saying about if if you know if you're not catholic you come from a protestant tradition that right. honestly can be overwhelming and intimidating like what's the deal with the hats or the the robes well, let's or talk the, about it yeah you know and all this stuff. exactly and it's like you know um there's lots of room for people that are new to it too. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like it, it, there, there's, there's room at the bottom and the top, you yep. know what I mean? Yep. And so I don't think, you know, you have to have, I mean, I learn something new every day. I was just, <laughs> just yesterday we, we have to put, um, we didn't have any holy water in the, the little receptacles. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was telling the, the, uh, chaplain here, the, uh, uh, the, the one that's in charge of this sort of thing sure. uh, here at Donnelly. But I didn't know what to call them. I didn't know what they were called. And I looked it up, and it's stoop. <laughs> and I'm like, who uh, knew? Stoop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knew that this is what they were called? You know. Yeah. So I say, hey, we need some water for the stoop, man. Come on. You know. That's funny. But but it's like 
it's nobody's taking notes. Nobody's grading you on yeah. how good of a Catholic. You, I mean, you know, it's yeah. like that's up to God. And, you yeah. know, and so um, I would also just say that, you know, sort of there, there's a lot of room for folks that are in all kinds of uh, along the spectrum of, of spirituality and, and their faith walk. You know, Right. This has been incredibly powerful. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your yes to the Lord. Thank you for your your ministries. Thank you for bringing people to Jesus. Thank you for your willingness to be humbled by the Lord and your willingness to think differently than you had in your past. Thank you for your openness. Thank you for your conversion. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your story and for you sharing the story of God working in and through you. Thank you, Lee. Thank yes. you. Yes, yeah, you're of course. A blessing. Thank, Thank you, you for what you're doing here. Amen. So this has been New Manna. And if this episode has blessed you at all, if you could leave us a review um, on whatever podcasting um, platform you're listening, if you mm. could help us out and leave a review, preferably a five-star one because we're awesome. But just uh, like that's going to help people find this quicker. Um, people who may not necessarily be just in the Kansas City area or whatever, but it's really easy. It would take less than five minutes. And then if you want to know more about the Eucharistic revival, if you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to know more about what this whole Eucharist thing is, um, I want to point you toward uh, archkck.org slash revival. We have a ton of resources, uh, both prayer resources, formation resources. We even have preaching resources for, um, I almost said preakins, for priests and deacons. <laughs> like we've got preaching resources for you uh, so that you can preach the Eucharist more effectively and tangibly. But yeah, again, it just, if this podcast has blessed you, please leave a review and, and share it with your friends and family because we want this thing to grow organically. We really feel like the Lord's hand is upon this. And um, what's what's better than uh, being drawn into communion with him and, and to receive him in the Holy Eucharist. So um, this has been New Manna. God bless you. We'll see you next week. God bless you, Lee. Thank you.